0: Hello and thank you for joining us today for Frost & Sullivan's latest webinar. Today's event is titled The 2019 Global Emerging Market Leaders. My name is Anna, and I oversee Frost & Sullivan's growth, innovation, and leadership briefings. Now, today we're gonna discuss Frost & Sullivan's 2019 ranking of emerging markets. Using a comprehensive data-driven indexing approach We have assessed global emerging markets based on their investment promotion activities. Our presenters today are Pranamohan, Associate Director at Frost & Sullivan, and Ritu Marjuman, Senior Economist at Frost & Sullivan. It is also our pleasure to have two very intimate presenters with us today, Ms. Marcela Granados-Clavez, Leader Innovation and Industry 4.0, with Colombia, and Mr. Rustam Istatay, Deputy Chairman, Kazakh Invest, and they will be giving us insights about the investment opportunities in Colombia and Kazakhstan, both of which are highly ranked on the index. With that, I would now like to hand the presentation over to Brenna. Thank you, Anna,
1: and good morning, good afternoon, good evening to all those who have joined us. To get started, um, you know, we're just going to look at one very pertinent question. Are emerging markets a part of your growth strategy yet? Now, while developed markets offer their share of growth opportunities, we at Frost & Sullivan believe that emerging markets are equally important to consider. Emerging economies have enjoyed rapid economic growth, supported predominantly by exporting <clears throat> to developed countries and they've also enjoyed investment inflows. One classic example of an export-led growth model would be China, you know, a model that led to an average GDP growth of 10% for a decade until 2011. However, in the aftermath of the global financial crisis, and the debt crisis in Europe, consumer demand from developed economies substantially weakened and subsequently a sluggish global economy started to worry exporters in emerging markets. So policymakers in emerging markets are now looking inwards for domestic consumption to drive sustained growth. As we can see in the chart at the right-hand side of the slide, Um, The share of private spending of high-income countries in total world spending is actually losing its share from 73% in 2010 and it is expected to come down to 58% by 2025. On the other hand, the same for the middle-income countries will increase by 14 percentage points during the same period. Next slide, please, Anna. When we look, we see a dynamic shift in consumer preferences as opposed to companies largely focusing on penetrating emerging markets via a physical presence a decade ago. Today, much of that focus has shifted to online platforms, and one of the prime reasons is the rapid progress of smartphone penetration coupled with falling prices of the Internet. China is undoubtedly the market leader in e-commerce. More than 50% of the world's e-commerce transactions take place in China, up from only 1% a decade ago. China and India are to become 1 billion-plus smartphone markets by 2025, and along with Brazil, Mexico, and Indonesia, represent a major addressable market for e-commerce, fintech, and a range of digitally delivered services. Um, Online shopping in emerging markets is so far mostly dominated by price-elastic consumer items such as books, electronics, or apparel. But going forward, we expect food, beverages, toiletries to potentially surge, uh, supported by continued urbanization in these markets and lowered logistic challenges. Going forward, we foresee that cross-border e-commerce sales in emerging markets is going to skyrocket. This, on the other hand, emancipates the need for a more complex supply chain system and with more precise shipping rate calculations, stable air cargo lines, and reserving inventory, which logistics companies can tap into. Next slide, please, Anna. So, as we speak about consumption, um, broadly demand for goods can be well seen as a function of GDP per capita. Uh, Now, this can be explained by analyzing the correlation between the demand for personal vehicles and income through a typical S-curve. If you can turn your attention to the chart at the right-hand side of the slide, uh, typically a country which lies in the blue zone during a given time period is said to have more of a flat demand for cars or mobility as income rises. This phenomenon becomes clear when we compare this with the chart on the left-hand side. Um, if you carefully look, even though motorization, which is nothing but the car ownership per thousand population, is still low in countries like China, Indi- India, and Indonesia, the rate of increase of owning a car is predominantly non-linear, nonlinear sorry, and escalating. On the other hand, in developed countries such as the United States or Western Europe, demand is flat. This signifies a shift of focus in policy making from expansion to maintenance around transportation infrastructure. Now, with population getting leveled off, new vehicle sales may be seen saturating in advancing economies, which implies, number one, um, aftermarket activities to flourish and a gradual shift towards ride-sharing activities. Now, in emerging markets, owning a personal vehicle has actually become commonplace. Um, Companies can increasingly focus on creating Good car infrastructure for driving and parking. High automotive demand in these markets is also driving rising levels of fuel demand. The governments similarly are you know, increasing and turning their focus towards fuel price scenarios and providing pro-car policies. Next slide, please. Now, in the developing world, um, smartphone users are gradually transitioning to higher levels of engagement particularly regions such as Eastern Europe or ASEAN or South Asian countries are expected to demonstrate a high adoption of 5G. And markets will also increasingly embrace emerging technologies such as virtual reality, smart home solutions, drone delivery, consumer robotics, and self-driven cars. If you turn your attention to the chart on the slide, um, you will see how the lower generation of connections are getting phased out across regions. Now, 4G will still continue to dominate mobile network technology till 2025 in emerging markets. However, 5G trials have already started in major markets across Asia and Europe. I would now like to hand the presentation over to Ritu Parna, who will take you through our process of ranking and prioritizing emerging markets that organizations should be looking at for their expansion strategy. Over to you, Ritu. Thank you, Prerna, for your interesting insights. Um, I will now discuss about the index indexing process. We will first discuss about the methodology briefly, and after that, we will look into the results very carefully. Um, with such a backdrop that Preena discussed just now, we at Frost & Sullivan came up with a very unique definition on, of emerging markets that ranks a list of 64 emerging markets that you can watch out for in 2019. These markets are then further categorized in such a way that you can um, systematically identify the country specific strengths, you can know the weak points of the countries and uh, thereby you will be able to make suitable choices. The beauty of the process is that this exercise is based on Frost & Sullivan's proprietary indexing methodology and takes into account a a whole gamut of factors in order to prepare a list. In fact, the ranking process includes, uh, I think, more than 30 indicators from a range of uh, different areas to give it a comprehensive uh, approach. The framework, as you can see on this particular slide, essentially centers around six crucial areas, or we call them pillars, and these are economy, demography, then we have innovation ecosystem, we have human resources, we have business environment and investment climate. The whole list of indicators uh, is actually grouped under, under these uh, six pillars. The reason why we focused on these set of factors is, is very simple. We, we actually wanted to have a comprehensive approach of country ranking. Um, you see, economy and democracy factors are, are the very core of all the elements. They form the base of, of any country analysis. Then we have the factors such as the R&D or skilled labor, for example, you know, these are these are sort of the superstructure for any country comparison process. And then we have indicators such as minimum wages, then political risk, supply chain, then doing business measures. These type of indicators are policy-centric and essentially capture the leadership capabilities of government. So um, this pillar-based analysis really gives it a 360-degree approach of geographic expansion decision and makes the model very, very robust. Um, I will now hand
0: it over to Ana again to take us through the poll question. Thank you, Rita. Yes, audience, I have just pushed out our poll question and I will give everyone uh, about 60 seconds to select their answer and we will reveal the results. So the poll question is, Which of these factors do you consider most important when undertaking business expansion decisions? Is it economic strength, workforce skill, innovation competencies, or investment climate? So about uh, 30 more seconds here. Thank you to those that have uh, placed their vote. Okay, I'm going to uh, stop. poll question here, and these are the results. uh, It looks like we have uh, a split. We have 28% indicate economic strength, actually okay, 22% (laughs) economic strength, the innovation competencies and the investment climate, and then the higher, the 33% indicate the workforce skill.
1: Okay, okay. Um, sure, uh, Anna. Thank you so much for running this poll for us. Very interesting uh, result, I must say. Um, Workforce related factors are uh, in fact crucial elements in, in every site selection approaches Since uh, since we all know that high-skilled workers create new and improved products. They also help foster innovation. Um, Low-skilled workers are always in demand, but it's the high-skilled workers and the work that they do can actually drive innovation uh, that can actually expand business opportunities. And uh, in this regard, government also plays a very important role in investing towards workforce training programs, creating vocational training centers, and help develop high-skilled regional workforces. However, I think uh, apart from the workforce skill related factors, um, other factors, factors such as political stability or let's say levels of corruption in a country that also form the very base of any site selection approach. You know, factors such as efficient regulatory environment present in a country or simple tax structure, then easy credit available particularly to the SMEs, they make a country uh, investor friendly. To begin with, so of course, if there is a huge political unrest in a particular region, no matter how much improved the skills of the workforce are, the country might not attract enough foreign investment. Hence, uh, I think workforce skill, workforce size is definitely something very very important. It's definitely definitely one of the important factors of any uh, geographic expansion plan. But business uh, in uh, environment and investment climate is the most crucial pillar, in my opinion. Thanks, uh, Anna, for running this poll again. Uh, We got uh, some very interesting feedback, and uh, let me get back to the slides now. So, moving on. Well, uh, here comes the results slide, as you can see here. Let us now discuss the results in a greater detail. This slide is very interesting. It, It shows the country, Categorization. Um, so what we have done is we have ranked the countries first and then found their scores for each country, their emerging market scores, and then we created kind of, a, kind of a scatter plot, the one that you see here. And if you turn your attention to this particular chart, you will see we have a per capita GDP 2019 on the horizontal axis and the emerging market country score on the vertical axis. And we have this nice scatter plot of the countries here. And based on the country's scores, then we have actually color coded them in order to categorize the countries. Uh, uh, the green highlighted countries are the front runner countries. The blue ones are transforming countries. And the red highlighted countries are fledgling economies. So the front runners, they secure the high scores in almost all the pillars. Uh, in 2019, the top five emerging markets were found to be China, Malaysia, India, Poland, and Hungary. Colombia was ranked seventh globally and uh, also ranked number one in the America's region. Kazakhstan, also, uh, on the other hand, also secured high ranking. It ranked ninth globally. I think um, three things that uh, are common between all these markets uh, were that they have very large consumer markets, number one. They also have um, easy availability of labor and uh, favorable business climate is also one of the factors. And it's also found out that the front runners have very uh, close characteristics of an advanced economy in terms of having a very matured capital market, smartphone penetration you know, very high uh, vehicle sales and so on. Countries such as Chile, then Malaysia, Hungary, you know, they have almost more than 50% of the population having access to smartphones already. Um, Colombia, thanks to its market size, uh, then extent of availability of natural resources and low levels of debt is a front-runner economy being very favorable (coughs) for geographic site selection kazakhstan is also an important uh, identified country with large pool of workage population low debt and very favorable investment climate then after the front runners we have the next group that is the transforming countries of 2019 and notable countries are bolivia kenya then we have tunisia egypt and so on the third batch of countries is the fledgling economies uh, Nepal, then Cameroon, we have Tanzania, and then many of the African countries they fall in this in this particular bracket. so um, this particular slide uh, gave you a graphical representation of the country based on their overarching emerging market ranks now, however, along with looking at the overall rank of the countries, it is also essentially important to track from a site selection standpoint, what are the pillar-specific scores for these countries are so that we can understand (coughs) which of the specific factors are really pulling the country's rank up and which are the factors dragging their rank down. So, in the next set of slides, we will particularly focus into looking at key pillars and understand what are the driving factors for the countries. And for a quick and easy comparison, what we did is we created separate wall maps. We also color-coded all the 64 countries by their scores in different pillars. And as you can see here on this particular slide, this this one is for economy pillar. And uh, where green indicates that the factor is favorable, driving the country's rank up. Blue indicates moderately favorable factor, and red indicates the factor is Unfavorable and is bring, actually bringing the country's rank down uh, quickly looking into this particular slide, this is based on the pillar economy. Uh, I think barring a few countries in the sub-Saharan Africa, most of the other countries, this pillar act, uh, this pillar acts as a as a driver because you see a lot of green here. Moving on to the next slide quickly, where we have it by the pillar of demography we can see that the giants like India, China or or Brazil, particularly the BRIC nations, (coughs) they they actually drive global consumption demand due to their large pool of workage population as well as young population, most importantly, and that that actually translates into high domestic demand. Hence for the large market countries, demography works as a key driver for competitiveness. (coughs) Moving on, the next uh, analysis of the pillar. So this is for the pillar business environment, and we see uh, most of the emerging countries, I think barring few in the Middle East, uh, Middle East, North African region have shown promise. Um, It's also important to define what business environment means here, well, business environment captures essentially the country's political stability and corruption levels. And interestingly, it has also been found during our analysis that there are many small nations whose uh, business environment score is actually much higher than uh, the traditional BRIC countries, you know. The BRIC countries, as we all know, that they have large markets due to their size, but however, they're they're, they're actually still battling to sustain a politically safe environment. And on the contrary, regions such as Central Asia or let's say Eastern Europe, even Mexico, Chile, these countries, they're found to have favorable business environment. Uh, Central Asia, particularly with a a very uh, strategic location of being very close to the Eurozone, they have a competitive tax structure, their political... Uh, situation is very stable. uh, That actually drives the region's business environment. Now moving over to the final discussion of the pillar analysis to the investment climate. Our analysis found out that even as per this particular pillar, the giants such as China and India are still to catch the countries like Malaysia, Poland or Mexico in regards to uh, the ease of doing business rank, then uh, an overall investment protection measures. You know, also countries in Eastern Europe as well as, um, for example, the countries in the Eastern Europe and we have some countries in the Latin American region that are also very politically stable. They also have uh, proactively reduced administrative barriers. They have actually simplified their business procedures and really have, they really have a sound tax system. Hence, this pillar worked as a driver for the competitiveness for 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 the, these particular countries. Moving on to the next slide. Yes, so um, very colorful slide here so based on um, all of these uh, pillar based analysis let's let's try to understand which regions seem to be most promising now, if you carefully look at this slide here, we find that The entire region of uh, Eastern Europe, Central Asia, and also the the Southeast Asian countries, the the ASEAN countries, they actually show maximum promise. Regions such as Africa, they're still not uh, very high on investors' radar for 2019. Now, another important uh, element is worth mentioning here is that with regards to the innovation ecosystem pillar where we see that no region has really got a very high scoring. Now, we think that the, the reason why this is so is because many of the emerging markets are, are actually still struggling to, to emerge out of the middle income trap. Uh, still, there are many countries, many emerging countries, where a significant number of population working for agriculture, there are existences of vast urban unorganized sector, you know, governments are actually trying to, um, they're actually focusing on, on providing the basic social needs and so on. Hence, innovation in the true sense of the term that lacks. However, uh, okay, having said that, there are, uh, uh, there are great evidences, uh, particularly within the emerging countries where governments are really investing into the promotion of innovation, a striking example could be Africa. So, so Africa is now one of the most innovation, fertile regions of the world. Um, M-Pharma in Africa, you know, that has actually disrupted the retail pharmacy industry completely. Then we have FarmerLine offers uh, mobile weather forecast to rural farmers in Africa. Mm-hmm. Then in India, we have Freelance Jio uh, bringing ultra-cheap Internet to every Indian's. So innovation does occur in emerging markets effectively and emerging markets will continue to attract significant foreign investors in 2019 and beyond. And Frost and & Sullivan's list of emerging market leaders, this, this actually act as a guide for the investors to help them find um, compelling growth opportunities and actually work as a, as a direct go-to customers. Now, with this, I come to the end of my presentation. I now hand this over to Marcela Granados-Galvis. She is the leader for Innovation and Industry 4.0 at ProColombia. Over to you, Marcela, for your insights on Colombia.
2: Yes, hello, everyone. Uh, I hope you can hear me. So, here, um, thank you so much first for, for inviting me. Uh, we really think Colombia has now like a good time uh, uh, for investors to come, like uh, our economic trade, our workforce uh, skills, and our innovation and investment um, competitiveness. So we, think, we really think it's a good moment for investors and also for Colombia to receive these investments. So uh, I'm going to show you very quick uh, about some opportunities here in, uh, in Colombia. Uh, it's really a, a big country, as you said. It's a, it's a big market, so we have many different cities around our country uh, where companies can be located, and uh, we have many sectors where they can invest also. Uh, I will show you a little bit of these opportunities um, for the projects, uh, for the investment project. For example, we have the infrastructure sector, uh, where some companies from, for example, Spain, Austria, Israel, China uh, are, uh, are here, are investing here. And some, and some um, opportunities are airports, ports, roads, also the national plan uh, is also an opportunity here in But we also have opportunity in the energy sector. Uh, in thermal energy, in the hydroelectric energy, solar energy, um, uh, biomass energy, and all kinds really of uh, uh, transformation network um, infrastructure. Uh, and here we have some of, uh, of, our, of our investors here in, in Colombia at uh, Italy, Germany companies, and the United States companies. Some other sectors are agribusiness, uh, in, in which are uh, uh, um, cacao, cereal, fruits and vegetables, meat, uh, rubber, biofuels, forestal, processed foods. And here are some of the companies that are already here in our country. Uh, I think it's important to let you know that Colombia has also 16 free trade agreements. So companies that invest here. To produce uh, and produce here can export to different countries, and have uh, like in many cases no no duties uh, to, to export to to sixteen countries. So or really low uh, duties. Uh, so so it's a good good thing that we have these sixteen uh, uh, free trade agreements. We have also. Uh, opportunities in the metalworking uh, sector, in the automot- automotive and uh, uh, auto parts sectors, and also in the construction um, in areas. Uh, and here we have companies from France, Japan, China, United States, uh, for example. So are just a few examples. But we have also uh, uh, opportunities in the chemicals and lifestyle uh, sectors um in for example we call it there plastic also is there and um, um natural ingredients for cosmetics because uh, well, we have uh, a lot of opportunities for com- cosmetics and also for natural ingredients. And uh, here are companies as uh, Unilever, Jara, uh & Gamble are here in, in Colombia um as you can see in the presentation. We have also very good um Opportunities for the services and the uh, for the services sector in DPO, for example, in DPO with telemedicine, in big data analytics, in shared services centers, in data centers, in fintech, on smart cities, for for example. And here in Colombia, we have investors from the United States, from Spain, from the United States, from, from Japan that are that that are in in our, our companies working with uh, colombian colombians and uh, well, uh, exporting some of the services to the world. we have also opportunities for the fashion industry this is an industry that has been that is in Colombia for almost 100 years uh, and we have like a, a lot of history in this in this area uh, but we have opportunities for the textile uh, sector and also for the garment uh, industry. And we have here companies from the United States, from Mexico, from the United Kingdom. As I said, with our 16 free trade agreements, it's a, it's a good opportunity for the investors uh, to come here to produce here and to export to some uh, of these funds. We have also a lot of opportunities for the tourist infrastructure sector.
3: Colombia is receiving
2: a lot of tourists uh, every year. and. Uh, uh, really, uh, the, it's, it's changing a lot, and uh, we have very beautiful places to visit. So we need more um, infrastructure in, in, like, for natural adventure, for wellness, for entertainment, for uh, for cities, hotels. So here, uh, you can see a lot. Some of the investors that are believing in our country and that are here, uh, like. Uh, well, like Hilton or like companies from Spain, from Canada, from the United States. Uh, also, we have here some uh, capital funds that are investing in uh, in different sectors in Colombia, like, Columbia, like uh, real estate, uh, health, um, the information and communication sector, uh, biotech, energy, agribusiness, and infrastructure, as, as I mentioned. So uh, this is a little bit of all the opportunities that Colombia has to 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 show to the world and in Colombia where are really we, we are ready to assist you and uh, all the investors in the to find the, the right opportunities to find the information and the good match for your business here in Colombia. So in, in case you want to know a little bit about us, we are the company that promotes export and investment tourist, uh here in Colombia. And we have 33 offices around the world. So if you are looking for um, looking for information about Colombia, please let us know. We will really glad to to help you to come here and to invest. Thank you so much.
1: Very interesting, very interesting. Thank you, Marcella. The success stories are really very interesting. Um, I now invite Mr. Uh, Rustam Izatayev, Deputy Chairman with Kazak Invest, to talk about the compelling growth story of Kazakhstan. Over to Mr. Rustam.
3: Yes, thank you. Can you hear me well?
1: Yes, loud and clear. Yes.
3: Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to tell you a few things about our country. Uh, let me introduce myself. My name is Rustam. Uh, I'm a deputy CEO of uh, well, let's say classical IPA, investment promotion agency of Kazakhstan. We're called Kazakhstan Yest, the national company. Uh, first and foremost, I want to thank you, uh, to thank the company uh, for making a very clear and insightful presentation. We just, uh, I think all of us, uh, uh, for, for numerous times, we've been uh, reassured that uh, uh, skills, uh, human capital, is, is the key issue for investors, and that's why we're trying to develop it even further. Uh, let me start by telling you the breaking news. Uh, as we speak, uh, our president has, uh, has addressed the nation that he is uh, leaving his post, and uh, by that, I want just to show Kazakhstan's uh, Kazakhstan's dedication. Our dedication to abstract investments is unparalleled. Because uh, instead of watching the presidential speech, we are attending this webinar. So thank you. <laughs> uh, let me also tell you that. Uh, let me tell you just ten uh, insightful facts about Kazakhstan. If you need to know something more, I'm always uh, I'm always eager to to tell you uh, in detail. Uh, first, uh, we are number one in the world for protecting minority investors by the World Bank rankings. We're also first in the world for cost effectiveness in manufacturing, uh, which was measured by FTI intelligence. We're also first in the CIS region for FDI per capita. We're obviously the ninth largest country in the world by territory. We are the biggest economy in the region with a GDP larger than all the other Central Asian states combined. Uh, among world's top 30 countries, we are uh, we are entering that top 30 with highest human capital according to World Economic Forum. Uh, one also interesting fact that uh, 70% of China-Europe transit traffic goes via Kazakhstan. Uh, also, according to Wall Street Journal, we have the highest degree of economic freedom among CIS and Central Asia countries, which is true. Uh, many. Uh, uh, very few people know that we are the only country in the region, in the whole Eurasian region, providing a common law court system. Uh, we started doing that by introducing uh, Astana International Financial System, where we practice the English law. Uh, and uh, the, <coughs> the pleasant result for us was the, the fact that we now 28th uh, 28 in the world banks doing business index, placing us in the top 15% globally. Uh, for, for countries with the best investment climate. So that's uh, just uh, 10 uh, facts about our country. And uh, looking at your presentation, uh, I, was, uh, I was pleased to see that the Central Asian region is, uh, is ranked uh, relatively, uh, relatively high, uh, very high actually, among other regions that the world community actually uh, acknowledges the fact that we have a favorable investment climate which we very uh, thoroughly try to to improve we also have a, uh, we happen to have a very good uh, human capital resources uh, one can say that is the heritage of the soviet system uh, where all men and women were attending schools and universities and uh, we also have uh, attracted many foreign universities to partner with our local universities, and Kazakhs, uh, uh, traditionally, they place uh, very high emphasis on education. Uh, so that's that. I also, um, just to uh, to spare our audience of uh, nerdy and dull presentations, I just want to uh, make a note that uh, listening to the criteria that you've presented uh, for uh, criteria that investors actually allude to when they make a decision on whether or not to invest in a particular country. Uh, that resembled me the Ruchir Sharma's famous book, uh, The Rise and Fall of Nations. I'm sure many, many in the audience have, have read this book. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it uh, really uh, correlates and reiterates uh, the principles that investors use when they invest and uh, just uh, giving you an example on, on his, uh, he, he set out in his uh, book. It's actually a bestseller right now. Uh, he set out ten uh, criteria, and among it is uh, inflation. He he puts emphasis to inflation, Mr. Sharma. He is by the way the investment uh, chairman of Morgan Stanley's uh, investment arm. So inflation in Kazakhstan, uh, we are happy to say that it has been um, down from previous years. Now down to about six to seven percent annually. Uh, from uh, it used to be twice twice as much uh, around five years ago Uh, also Mr Sharma knows that um, uh, the debt as as you also mentioned that the debt issue is uh, is of concern and uh, as a uh, resource rich country we have a relatively low debt uh, to GDP ratio which is also good and uh, also uh least but not last mr sharma in his book uh, the Rising Fall of nations he um, he also places a big emphasis on the fact uh, that uh, on trade links so for example sharma is very uh, optimistic about the us just because of its deep trade links strong manufacturing and technology and good dmns as he says well in that regard we also can fare well uh, because we have a very deep trade links as i mentioned we account for 70 percent of transit uh, between Europe and China we uh, we're very proud the uh, country to have uh, very close relationships with the uh, uh, big uh, markets like India we have very close and uh, productive relationships with India we have uh, impeccable relations with Russia and China uh, and uh, also United States so uh, that helps uh, exploiting economically the uh, the trade links that we have with these countries I think is something to be seen and uh, we are also trying to to, to exploit the, the benefits, to reap the benefits of the trade links we have at this point. Uh Mr Sharma also said about strong manufacturing. Well as I mentioned uh, it actually caught us by surprise to be honest with you but we by by financial times we were regarded we were acknowledged as the number one in the world for cost effectiveness in manufacturing in the latest 2018 rankings. So we, uh, and uh, this is no surprise for, uh, for engineers because they know that uh, the cost of electricity, the cost of land, and the cost of other utilities is one of the lowest in the world uh, in, in our country. So that, that is why I assume we, we've been named as, as a top country for cost effectiveness manufacturing in the world. Uh, technology-wise, uh, this is the last pillar we are hardly working uh, on at this point. We've created an um, uh, international IT hub, and uh, we have a special state program for digitalization of the economy. Uh, I can also mention that among Central Asia's countries, we have the deepest penetration of mobile phones and internet penetration, so that also helps, and we are now working closely with the. Uh, with the Nokia's uh, on introducing 5G, and the president's last visit to to Finland has uh, has uh, also uh, improved our our improved our chances in introducing 5G. So that's in a nutshell um, about our country, about our investment climate, and about our efforts. And uh, uh, once again, thank you for sharing the criteria And I I would uh, recommend to to tell that criteria to Mr. Sharma, he he would be pleased to, to know that uh, he he also <laughs> goes in in the right direction. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Rustam. It was really nice uh, for your presentation. Um, you. moving on with the presentation. Well, um, as we come to the close of this presentation. A quick summary of what we have shared today and what you can take away, last words basically. So in terms of the emerging market trends, uh, what are the key advantages, what are the pull factors that are drawing businesses to emerging markets? As explained, uh, most of the emerging markets have now turned to to, to focus on a consumption-driven growth model. And hence, these markets are experiencing rapid growth in their consumer demand for goods and services. So businesses are increasingly looking to tap into this demand that's coming out of the emerging markets now. One classic example which we have uh, discussed uh, is the automotive demand in emerging markets. Another important, important area is how people in the emerging countries are quickly adapting to smartphone penetrations, backing various digital deliveries. Next is uh, we have also gone in detail through Frost & Sullivan's 2019 Emerging Markets Methodology and Index and hope you have <clears throat> a fair understanding of what we have come out with as the 2019 Emerging Markets front runners. So our global emerging market front runners 2019 is obviously China, Malaysia, and India from the Asian region. Uh, we also have other countries like Malaysia, Indonesia, Kazakhstan, <clears throat> Poland, Hungary, Colombia are some of the other front runners from uh, other regions. Do keep in mind that this is not the full list of front runners. There are more. And we have also ranked transforming markets and the fledgling markets, as you would have heard uh, in the course through this presentation. So um, this list of emerging markets is an annual index and takes place on an annual basis. And this is the 2019 version. And do stay tuned because we will be coming out with the 2020 update of the emerging market list update. So hope to have your participation then and if you want to know more about the methodology you want to understand the results want to understand what the indicators are mm, uh, and want to customize the index specifically for you we would be happy to work with you so with this I hand this over to Anna
0: Thank you very much. We'll just go over our next steps quickly and then go into the uh, question and answer session due to, uh, due, the, due to the time. So we do have a detailed report on the 2019 emerging market list that will be up on our website, frost.com, in about April 2019. So if you're interested in receiving a copy of this report, you can uh, write down the contact details that will be displayed shortly. We also like to extend the opportunity for you to engage in a free growth strategy dialogue with one of our experts here at Frost & Sullivan. I will also have some more details uh, that you can, uh, you can contact uh, to um, obtain your free growth strategy dialogue. And uh, the contact details are Vignesh, he is our key account manager of our Emerging Market Innovation Practice, and so um, if you, again, are interested in in engaging with the Growth Strategy Dialogue or receiving a copy of the uh, 2019 Emerging Market List Report, I have displayed his details on your screen at this time. There is a um, email and also his direct telephone number. So at this time we have a few minutes for some questions and I'll go ahead and start the uh, question and answer session now. If for some reason we do not get to your question, the team will get back with you uh, offline. So our first question here, this is going to Mr. Rustam. So, Mr. Yes. Rustam, in Kazakhstan, which are the new industries being developed and which do not exist in u s s r
3: oh that's that's a tough one I have to admit um, the new industries well we are very proud uh, to announce that uh, since the uh, independence after the collapse of soviet union we according to the statistics give or take we now produce 200 uh, goods that never been produced prior Uh, i can i can give you the full list uh, later separately the new industries that the government has set out uh, as a priority sectors for which we provide special uh, support incentives uh, also the tax incentives are the following four. It's the metals and mining, obviously uh, something that will be naturally endowed with. So uh, going up the value chain, uh, all the investment projects in, in this realm of metals and mining are more than welcome. The second sphere is uh, machinery. Uh, I think as in all developing countries, machinery is always the priority sector. Uh, we're also talking in this regard, particularly about the uh, agricultural machinery, since we have uh, one of the largest uh, areas of cropland in the world, and uh, we need lots of uh, machinery. Agricultural machinery. The third sector is petrochemistry. Uh, petrochemistry is something that we uh, heavily bet on, since we are in the top uh, top ten oil oil producing countries. Uh, we still uh, we are still to uh, to see the development uh, the rapid development of our petrochemical industry uh, and um, as you know, this is a very capital uh, consuming uh, uh, capital intensive projects and uh, we are now looking for global players, uh, big global uh, investors to uh, to start developing petro- petrochemical industry in Kazakhstan.
0: Uh,
3: the fourth is the agricultural sector. Uh, as I said, we have some uh, unique uh, unique uh, advantages, uh, even, let's say, compared to Brazil. Uh, we, we, at, we tend to present ourselves as being the best country for organic agricultural products, simply because uh, our cows and other animals, they breathe freely across the vast fields uh, with natural grass, so uh, obviously the the quality of meat uh, and all agricultural products is is as organic as as, as it can be. So we're now trying to to pitch uh, to our global investors that uh, we can uh, be the perfect place for uh, for for locating a production uh, aimed at uh, maybe high premium high-end uh, agricultural products. So that's in a nutshell. Thank you.
0: Now our next question. This is going to Marcella. Marcella, in which sectors has Colombia received more foreign investment projects, and which sectors have more jobs uh, that have been created? Okay.
3: Uh,
2: well, in the last ten years, we have seen that that the software and the IT sector uh, has received. Uh, 26 percent of almost of the of the projects uh, are uh, mixed our business services with almost 14 percent of the project financial services uh, with 10 percent 11 percent of the, of the project
3: and then our
2: mm, machinery with eight and logistics almost with five percent of the of the project and uh, for the generated uh, real estate is uh, real estate is uh, is the one that more jobs uh, are create here in Colombia with uh, 15%, but also software uh, has like a 14%, uh, logistics 7%, tourist uh, 6%, agro-industry another 5%. So we really think that um, a lot of the projects that are coming here to Colombia are creating not only value, but also jobs as generating important jobs for, for our country, and uh, we, we are glad that
0: that, that is happening here. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Marcela, and we have time for one more question, and this question here is for Ritu. Uh, Ritu, I cannot see any African countries. Which are the emerging mm-hmm. markets in Africa?
1: Okay, uh, well... Uh, There are many African countries that were a part of the indexing process, such as South Africa, Tanzania, Kenya, Ghana, Cameroon, uh, Ivory Coast, and so on. I think uh, about 15 to 20 African countries uh, were analyzed during the indexing process. Um, I I think uh, South Africa was a front-runner country. Then Morocco, Ghana were the other front-runner countries. We also had Kenya, Tunisia, you know, these countries were analyzed. Uh, should you want to know the company's list of countries, please uh, write back to us. We will be happy to work with you. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Ritu. So this concludes today's uh, webinar. And uh, once again, we have the contact details for Vignesh to uh, Contact us with the Growth Strategy Dialogue or also obtaining the 2019 Emerging Market to List Report or any other additional questions. Once again, we'd like to thank our speakers today, Ms. Marcela granos and also Mr. Rustam uh, for joining us today. Thank you for your time.